It's a great movie called A Man for All Seasons, based on the play by Robert Bolt about Sir Thomas More, a.k.a. St. Thomas More. If you don't know the story of St. Thomas More, um, it's actually quite wonderful that this movie was made in the 1960s, but it actually won Best Picture. I don't know if it's the only movie about a saint that's ever won Best Picture at the Oscars, but I think it may be. But it's a, it's a beautiful story based on this play, and St. Thomas More was a prominent lawyer, um, you might say bureaucrat, politician, in England in the 1500s. He was a close friend and counselor to King Henry VIII. King Henry VIII, you may uh, know, was fond, especially later in his reign, of beheading people, particularly his wives, um, when they didn't bear him heirs or weren't satisfactory to him. He uh, started out as a decent king, but ended up becoming kind of a tyrant. And uh, no more than when the Pope had denied him, this was before the Protestant Reformation, before England uh, left the, the Catholic Church, um, or the English Church, rather, the Church of England, left and, and became um, schismatic, so to speak, that uh, the Pope denied King Henry VIII a divorce, basically, that he couldn't divorce his wife to marry Anne Boleyn, who he wanted to marry. And because the Pope wouldn't give him this divorce, he simply declared himself the Pope, effectively. He said, I'm the, I'm the king of England, so I'm also the head of the church in England, and I can grant myself my own divorce. And he insisted that every bishop, priest, every person on, in England uh, recognize him as the official head of the church in England. And this, Sir Thomas More could not abide. He didn't uh, protest. He didn't make any sort of demonstration about it. He simply resigned his post as chancellor and decided to go into retirement with his wife and his daughters in his estate. But the king knew that Thomas More was a man of conscience, and he wanted him to sign the oath. He wanted him to, to be an example to everybody else who was less courageous and less conscientious than, than Thomas More. If he could get Thomas More, then he had everybody's loyalty. And Thomas just wouldn't sign on. Um, again, he didn't make a big stink about it. He didn't want to be a martyr. He didn't want to suffer. Uh, but he was willing to suffer if it meant not violating his conscience. Finally, uh, not to spoil it, but there's a climax in all the action of the movie at this moment. There's this character, Richard Rich, who you meet in the beginning of the, of the story, and he's sort of just like this morel eel, just like, like sucking onto Thomas More's power and his influence. He has nothing really to add, but he just wants a special post. He wants to be next to greatness. And uh, Thomas More keeps insisting, like, you don't want to be a politician. Trust me, it corrupts, bad. <clears throat> it corrupts good morals. It's a dangerous life. Why don't you just be a teacher? And Richard Rich is like, no. That's, who would know I'm a good teacher? It's not important. It's, it, I want something. I want to be famous. I want to be important. Finally, at the end of the movie, uh, when Tom, Thomas More is imprisoned, he's, he's on trial, and they're trying to find some testimony to prove that Thomas has betrayed, he's committed treason, that he's actually uh, violated his loyalty to the king. And they get Richard Rich to basically make false testimony. He lies and says, yeah, I heard Thomas More say that he doesn't think the king has the competence to be the, church of, the head of the church in England. Of course, Thomas More would never have said that. He was a lawyer himself. He was very careful not to do anything illegal, but also not to violate his conscience. And at this scene, when Richard Rich purges himself... Uh, he's wearing all this finery, and he's wearing a medal around his neck, and it's a medal of office. And Thomas More asks permission to look at the medal. 
during the trial. And he knows, Thomas More knows that he's going to get his head chopped off, that this is it. Um, and he looks at the medal and asks what it means. And somebody from the, uh, from the court says, Richard has been appointed Attorney General of Wales. That was his reward for providing this false testimony. He got, to be, he got a special post. He got to be someone important. And Thomas More looks him in the eye and he says this, Sir Richard, it profits a man nothing to give his soul for the whole world, but for whales? <laughs> and of course, Richard is, you know, he's got his defenses up. He's hardened. He's made his decision to sell his soul for whales. But Thomas will not sell his soul. And at that moment, he has the courage to, to actually speak the truth that the king does not have this competence, that he's the loyal son of, of, the, of God and the church before he's a, a loyal servant of the king, and he eventually gets his, his head cut off. And now he's a saint. Um, but that scene with Richard Rich is so haunting because what you see in this man is that he's given his life so cheaply. He's given away his soul for almost nothing. At the, the end of the movie, there's a little summary of like what happens to all the main characters. Most of them get their heads chopped off. And then it says, and Richard Rich died in his bed. Who's ever heard of him except for this play? It's kind of like Pontius Pilate. Like, we only know of him because he washed his hands of Jesus, right? But he thought he was someone important in his day. He sold his soul for almost nothing. What about us? He profits someone not to gain the whole world to sell his soul, to lose his life. Um, this longing that we have for life, that we know that there's something, if we lose it, then no matter what we get, we've gained nothing. Because we have this longing for the fullness, longing for everything. Psalm 63 is our psalm response today. It's my favorite psalm. Uh, it's a little different in the, in the Mass than it is in the Liturgy of the Hours, but we say it every um, morning prayer of any feast day. It goes, Oh God, you are my God. For you I long. For you my soul is thirsting, like a dry, weary land without water. For your love is better than life. My soul will be filled as with a banquet. My mouth shall praise you with joy. That's the longing of the soul that hasn't sold itself, that hasn't settled for something else, that's longing like a dry, weary land without water for this living water, this quenching of what we actually want. Not a part in a play, not be, being someone important, but actual life. I was talking at our student leader retreat a few weeks ago before school started about big H happiness. That's what I'm talking about, is like this fullness of life, the big H happiness that, we, that our hearts know we want and that we're made for. It's not the result of getting what we want, becoming someone important. It's the result, like Thomas More proves to us, of living a life ordered to the good, of giving your whole life to Jesus, of taking up your cross and following him every day. Being happy is the result of having a healthy and well-ordered soul that compromises not with evil, that doesn't tell lies to get ahead. But it's, it's the result of walking this long road to holiness with Jesus. The problem is that we are often offered small-age happiness or a shortcut, so to speak, to happiness. It's also known as comfort. 
St. John Paul II said, you were not made for comfort, you were made for greatness. This comfort that we settle for because um, it's easier, right? And it's tempting. People are saying, buy this thing, live this person's life, do this, and you'll be happy. And it's easy. All it costs is money or whatever, a little bit of time. But that long road of carrying your cross every single day following Jesus, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it might cost you your life, oh. So we settle for this small age happiness. But what is it? It's nothing. It's whales. It's like a metal. Really, giving in to comfort is despair. And this is, if you don't remember anything else from this homily, remember this. The cross equals hope. Comfort equals despair. If we are willing to take up our cross with Jesus, to walk with him even when it's hard, to tell the truth even when it would be easier to lie, that's because we hope. We believe that there's something more to life than just being comfortable, than just taking some shortcut. The taking up your cross is saying, I believe it is possible to have this dry, weary land without water quenched with the life of God, with the fullness that I was made for. And so, maybe without doing it, but just in your head, looking to your left and to your right, just being aware of the people around you right now, that these are the people that God has given you and you've been given to, to walk with on this path. Even if everyone out there decides small age happiness is all there is, it's taking the shortcut. Carrying the cross, not for me. There's nothing after the cross anyway. It's just darkness and gloom. There's no resurrection. Even if everybody else says that, and even if it's so convincing and so persuasive, we are together walking this long road to holiness and therefore to beatitude to life with the saints in heaven, communion with the Trinity, because we believe it's possible. And we believe we're worth it, that our lives cannot be so easily bought, that my life is not that cheap. My soul costs a lot. It costs the blood of Jesus, which he was willing to pay for me. He shows me what I'm worth. I'm not going to sell my soul for something cheap. There'll be a lot of opportunities this year for you, um, some of which might be uncomfortable. Even just coming back to Mass every week. Some days it might be more comfortable to stay in bed or to not come. Maybe you've never been part of a Bible study, and that sounds a little weird, and I don't know anybody there, and it's out of my comfort zone. But you hear Jesus inviting you. There's something more for you. There's something more to life. There's a, there's a deeper fullness Say yes. Maybe the fall retreat, which is coming up. Mm, $25, I don't know. Your soul is worth more than $25. To give God this opportunity to show you what your life is worth, what, what he wants to give you. Maybe confession. Maybe you haven't been in a long time. Maybe you've never really made a truly honest and good confession that there's something you're holding back from Jesus. Peter in the gospel today, the great Peter, who after the Holy Spirit comes down, is the leader of the apostles, who's willing to be crucified upside down for Jesus. When Jesus first tells him about the cross, he takes Jesus aside and rebukes him, says, no, nah, that's not, that's not going to happen. 
And what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. You're an obstacle. You're not thinking like God does. You're thinking as men do. Just last week, remember Father Tim's homily, Peter was the first one to say, Jesus, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the Son of God. And this is right after this. Get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking like God. You're thinking like men. We can believe like Christians, but not think like Christians, not behave like Christians. But we have the Holy Spirit. We have the church. We have the sacraments. We have each other to believe that your life is worth it, to not give it away for anything less than the fullness than Jesus himself.